In this episode of Octal FM, we discuss early access video games. From old school demos bundled on PlayStation Magazine, to massively multiplayer online games with open betas like Ragnarok Online, all the way to Minecraft and Kickstarter today. Hello and welcome to another episode of Octal FM. I'm Sefran. And I'm Gelada. And today we're going to discuss the more recent phenomenon that is early access gaming. It's funny actually because we say recent phenomenon and it is recent in the grand history of things, but actually they've, they're pretty much a staple now, aren't they, of, of yeah. the video gaming landscape. You know, ever since, I don't know, it's at least the last eight years or so they've sort of been progressing into a, mm. into the mainstream video game landscape. And it's really interesting as well because it's not like this is a new idea. It's just sort of how it's being done is the more current new way of doing it. Yeah. Like the idea of having um, people play your game from an unfinished state for different reasons, be it feedback or publicity or even money, is then going back for almost as long as gaming has been a thing really, hasn't it? Yeah. I mean, the, traditionally games are kind of heavily guarded during testing and you know developers sort of kept the testing internal but you did have examples of testing and an early access to games that that wasn't purely internal within a publisher i mean it's funny actually no one really uses the term demo anymore or like you know talking about demo versions of games that's not really a thing anymore but that's what early access was back yeah, in the day. Yeah, exactly. That's all it was, wasn't it? I mean, the examples that we've got here is um, kind of your demo discs, your CDs. Yeah, exactly. Um, and the one that you've put down there is uh, is PlayStation Magazine because like, that was the first time that it was more kind of economically feasible to be able to actually give away copies of a game. Yeah. Because, I mean, when it was a cartridge-based, it was just too expensive for both actual yeah. production and transportation. Yeah. But it was quite cheap to be able to just shove a, a CD on the front of a, uh, yeah. a, a magazine yeah. uh, and give out copies of the game. And they were often unfinished versions of games. You know, they were kind of like the first levels that developed or like they're giving you a level from halfway throughout the game, which you could play with a slightly different system. Yeah, like perhaps for the bit that they'd sort of more polished or more kind of tidied yeah. up. And you also actually on some of those demo CDs, I remember that you did actually get... They were. I don't know if they were actually called indie games back then, but you did used to get those sort of student games almost, like games made as in partnership with Sony and stuff like that mm-hmm. on the sort of dev kits and things like that. And they weren't really finished games either. They were sort of concepts and things like that. Yeah, that would be, proof of concepts, definitely. You know, you would be given for free. And for a long time also in the PC gaming landscape, you know, again, almost as long as PC gaming has been around, you know, we've had the concept of beaters as well right Mm. um you know that's a a very common thing and that's still around now but if you go back a little bit you know to sort of 2000s or 90s you would never charge for a beta right that was something that we were sort of discussing earlier like now you charge for your beta in your early access game but back then it was you know it was free almost exclusively almost all the time a, a beta would be a free game because one of the things that we kind of came up with for early games, for early betas, were things like your MMOs. Yep. Um, a lot of early MMOs 
before they properly released for paid services because obviously that's why they made an MMO, wasn't it? So you had to pay a subscription fee. Yeah. This was before microtransactions were really a thing as well. Yeah. Because it was too difficult to kind of charge people for in-game content using like, you know, checks in the post or <laughs> a really kind of like awkward way of using your credit card details. And this is also before the time of things like PayPal became quite mainstream. So if you weren't a US citizen, it was almost impossible sometimes, wasn't it? You yeah. had to have like a zip code and stuff to use Yeah, it. yeah, that's true. I mean, I remember trying to buy things online, you know, back in the, the late 90s and early 2000s, and it was just impossible if you weren't living in America. Yeah. So a lot of them were just kind of like these free games um, that they just wanted to kind of get out there and get people's opinions on. And they weren't looking to kind of make money on it. They were just sort of trying to say, this is what we've got. Please play our game when it's finished. Yeah, exactly. And also the other thing that's really a precursor to early access games is... Um, things like mods right you know you had mods the most popular popular example of a mod is something like counter-strike where they would be released before they were necessarily completely finished and they would continue to be developed things like defense of the ancients as well the dota map on on starcraft and warcraft like they were iterated upon and they had a community around them and Mm -hmm. in those situations they again they were free and so you tended to have a more almost sort of open source style in that you had a community of developers building it rather than a business or a company but nonetheless it's still very much in the spirit of sort of early access you know you release the mod before it's necessarily finished and then you know it continues to be developed and hence why counter-strike you know is version 1.6 right that was the final version that people play you know that just shows you that that was kind of a game that was developed but again that was also free and it wasn't really until something like minecraft i think minecraft was really the turning point for the concept of early access yeah i think so because i mean there's probably examples of a similar thing happening but nothing quite on the same scale no definitely not which was known as public because oftentimes early access was like you only got it through a friend of a friend sort of thing and you had to get like a receive a beta key or you had to be you know in the no sort of thing to sign up at a right time yeah a lot of closed betas and stuff yeah definitely whereas minecraft was very open and it really hit a mainstream quite quickly too yeah so the concept of playing an unfinished game became almost like a a common occurrence at that point. Yeah. And almost kind of cool as well. You know, I think yeah. it was sort of it became this kind of cool thing to have a game that wasn't quite released yet and at that point it was cheaper. You know, it, you would you would pay less to get alpha access to Minecraft than the mm. final the, the sort of end price and that was kind of your your reward, you know, your yeah. early backing, you got a game that was unfinished, but also you got it for cheaper and you there was mm. sort of this unwritten or written no, it was written. I, I remember buying my copy of Minecraft when it was uh, still in alpha. Yep. So when it was still kind of like the browser-based version mm. without all the extra bits and bobs now. Uh, I think it was like, I think it was £11. Yeah. And it's like, if you buy the game now to have access to like this version of the game, you will always have and forever will always have a updated version of the game forever. Yep. And it was very much a clear stated thing. Yeah. And and Minecraft, of course, was developed by one guy and he still had a job at the time. And mm-hmm. it was in early access for only two years, which actually now in the in the world of early access is actually quite a relatively short yeah. time. <laughs> Depressingly. And in those two years, it gains nearly two million people were playing the game. So you can kind of it's kind of the argument of like what you know, if you've got two million people playing your game, it's kind of released. <laughs> like it's kind of you know, there's a lot Let's of say you're done, like right? Minecraft was certainly the the progenitor of early access, yeah. so to speak. 
but there's been lots of other things that have really sort of kicked things into into gear, so to speak. Uh, see, see, what, yeah. see what I did there? Um, and a big one for that was Kickstarter. Sorry, pardon the pun. Uh, I feel bad. <laughs> but that was a real boost for the ability to play early access games. And for people to almost have more of a view into the development of games as mm. well, like seeing the behind the scenes of it a bit more. Yeah. I'd say unless you were in the know or maybe you were part of like the sort of marketing and um, journalism side of things for gaming, mm. you didn't really see anything behind the scenes apart from when the game came out and maybe it got bundled with no. like a behind the scenes DVD. Whereas Kickstarter allowed you to be involved almost, yeah, didn't it? it did. And this was something actually that we've touched upon before when we talked about community management in video games, that this is now becoming a more common occurrence, you know, peeling back the curtain and showing people a little bit more about sort of behind your game and getting people involved. You know, it's kind of a win-win there. You're getting the early access, you're getting the, you know, as a developer, you're getting people's money early and you're also gaining from the marketing and that sort of expectation that you will show stuff about how your game's going and how the development's mm. going. And you then benefit from that as well. It still really amazes me as well that Kickstarter is such a popular thing, considering the fact that of all the things we've talked about so far, at least when you parted with your money or your time, you get a game. Yeah. Whereas oftentimes in Kickstarter, you don't get anything get at all except for the promise of a game. Yeah. And I know there's some things there to protect consumers, like, oh, if you don't, you know, if they don't get the money, then you get your money back sort of thing. And, um, you know, they've got to deliver on certain promises, that kind of thing. It can't just be a complete you know sham yeah. it's still a little bit wild west though <laughs> well that's it it, it is definitely because you know then that's the, the whole point is that they're saying that this will be what we're aiming for but i mean they could say well we couldn't do that but that's yep. not our fault and yep. we don't we still need your money so exactly. there's been a few other things as well that have sort of really influenced the success of early access games especially as it's become more and more mainstream and more popular things like Humble Bundle is actually, you know, if you think back to sort of early stage Humble Bundle stuff, giving access, giving early access to games was was a key part of, of that mm -hmm. because it was a good way to get a little bit of money, um, release your game early. It would often, the early access games would be thrown in as extras, you know, on mm -hmm. top of the other games they were offering. Um, and then obviously now you really have the real mainstream digital distribution companies and, and publishers coming on board with this things like steam you know they've had multiple iterations now of kind of early access programs things like mm -hmm. green light and steam early access and also i think sony and microsoft do have early access stuff as well right yeah they do i don't remember what they're called i mm -hmm. know they have like names for them but they do both have the uh, the early access segments of their store sort of thing uh, and also one of the other things that when we were discussing this earlier is that part of why you can do this now is that so many games are distributed digitally now. You can still buy boxed copies of games, but there's so much digital distribution. And those distribution methods are so sophisticated that, you know, you can easily or relatively easily give different customers different parts of a game or give them the game at different times. You know, it's so easy to upgrade a game now by streaming updates to them. You know, mm. you can literally release a new update to a game every week. And a lot of these games do you know these games yeah. that are really heavily in their early access are doing weekly updates you know where and with small tweaks here and there yeah and you're talking about you know that's such a to use a technical software development term that's a very agile process which is where yes. you know you are responding 
almost immediately to people's demands and and requests and feedback. And that is great for gamers. You are really able to give some feedback and also get a game that is, you know, really tailored for you. And that ties in quite nicely. One of the first kind of pros of um, early access is that developers get a lot of good feedback quickly. Yeah. Yeah. And that's partially because people have you know kind of parted with their cash yeah so they are going to be more vocal about this game because they know that hang on i've already paid my money i want the game to be how i want it to be whereas if you got it for free maybe you wouldn't bother as much maybe it's like oh well it's free whatever carry on definitely so the developers get absolutely invaluable feedback that they probably wouldn't get in almost any other situation ever yeah exactly and also if your early access game has been popular and you have got people playing it, then you can get analysis in terms of, you know, actual statistics and sort of analytical stuff in terms of how people are playing the game. You know, Mm, this is particularly relevant for multiplayer games, which are very popular on an early access. A lot of survival games, things like DayZ and PlayerUnknown's Battlegrounds and stuff like that, you know, they can look at how people are playing the game. You know, how long are people surviving? What are people doing? You know, Mm. where what seems to be more powerful than other things what strategies work better for gamers and you can then balance your game and make your game more exciting and that can change week on week that was definitely seen with something like DayZ, DayZ, whatever because at first it was very much about a zombie survival game yeah but then they realized hang on more and more people are actually just enjoying the whole hunting and killing each other thing yeah which is how a lot of these sort of Battle Royale-esque games came to be. Yeah. You know, the idea of like DayZ became more about that. And then you had like King of the Kill and PlayerUnknown's Battleground. And I'm sure there's millions of others. <laughs> and that was only because of that sort of analytical feedback they got from just viewing how people experience their games. Yeah, absolutely. And also being able to take money from people before you've necessarily heavily developed your game. And or, you know, maybe it's just you've got an idea of some kind or whatever it is developers can take more risks they are able to take a risk with an idea and gauge the popularity of it mm-hmm. not necessarily go through an entire two three five year development process before finding out that their game is a is a flop yeah or one part of the game is a flop that now they can't change yeah. because it's so ingrained within the game itself exactly you know and that's again that is great for for gamers because it means that we get a lot more variety um you know and there's a lot more different and new and crazy ideas and people trying stuff out and actually things that don't work out it's not so bad for developers either because now they find that out earlier on and i think that you mentioned this like it encourages really fresh developers as well especially with things like kickstarter where actually you don't even need to be able to make a game to have a successful Kickstarter if mm. you've got a great idea and some good marketing and you know you can explain your idea really well and you can do whatever and encourage and excite people enough um, and that's great because that means that you're now bringing more people into the industry and you've got more diversity in terms yep. of the number of developers and people who aren't necessarily taking a traditional game developer path in their career just decide that they have a really great idea and they're very eloquent about it and they you know get people on board and get people behind it and um, that's really great 
it's it's almost like a rags to riches sort of thing where you start exactly. out in a small little market stall doing something kind of cool exactly. and then it just kind of takes off as opposed to saying you know starting out in an entry-level job in a big company and and that's always fantastic because what that does is that encourages more people to do it which thus gives you more variety in the games we're seeing and that then affects the the big industry as well as a whole like you big triple a studios because they see the trends they know what's going on they're not stupid they've got their finger on the pulse sort of thing yep. and they know what's popular so if you're seeing you know an increase in indie devs doing a certain thing so at the moment you've got the whole kind of battle royale-esque games going on they're gonna go why aren't we doing that yeah exactly and they're gonna take advantage of that and that's no bad thing because it means that the industry sorry the uh means that the the community of you know gamers are getting what they want um and they are being tailored towards rather than just sorts of like throwing spaghetti against a wall and seeing what sticks yeah absolutely it is, it definitely, it encourages more variety. It encourages more, you know, it's more about what gamers want earlier on. And it does, as you say, it influences the industry as a whole, right from, you know, from indie developers all the way up to AAA, um, you know, game developers. But that said, there's still, there are definitely problems. And some of these problems are actually really kind of bedding in now because we've had, we have had early access for a long time. I think the most obvious one is the one that, I think maybe it's kind of disproportionately covered, but that's yeah, things definitely. around fraud, um, you know, intentional or otherwise, games that fail um, and or, or games where developers have in some way or another swindled people out of money. You know, again, we've talked about this before about being accountable to the internet and, you know, and, and sort of advertising and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And this is a prime example of, of, you know, potentially bad advertising. And it was something that, that we discussed earlier was like, the problem with these ho- this whole thing and this whole concept is that traditionally independent developers made small games, you know, games that are simple in scope in some way, you know, whether it's something like Super Meat Boy that is, you know, a, a fast paced 2D platformer. It's not trying to be, you know, everything to everyone. It is a 2D platformer, you know, very fast paced. And, and then AAA developers would produce, you know, big sprawling open worlds like Bethesda making Oblivion and Skyrim and stuff like that. But now you, as a independent developer or even not a developer at all, you can potentially spend, you will spend the same amount of effort to advertise your idea and sort of prepare your idea, whether it's a really glossy Kickstarter video and, you know, good coverage and marketing and that kind of thing. That doesn't it doesn't matter whether your idea is big or small the same amount of effort is required to produce that early access sort of marketing and and information and excitement which means that that competition you now have this much more sort of level playing field amongst developers in that both big and small developers are now all competing against each other whereas traditionally indie developers were competing against other indie developers yeah. making indie games and big producers were competing against them you know other AAA companies now they can all compete with each other and that is very challenging for developers you know you've now you've got so much more competition and there's a high chance that really good ideas and really good games will, you know, be, will be lost in the mm. in the noise, and that is going to put people off, and you know, and that is definitely a, a a problem. And we again, we've talked about that a little bit with mobile games as well, you know, and we said, you know, mobile games suck because 
there's so many it, the barrier to entry is lower and you know now you've got all of these developers there's sort of a gold rush almost you know and it's very similar with with things like kickstarter and that idea of kind of games and ideas kind of being lost in the shuffle is is also true when it comes to a more traditional game journalism the media doesn't really tend to review early access games fairly or at least mm. accurately yep. because a more traditional media outlet like IGN, Kotaku, Polygon, that kind of thing they don't their their tendency don't is to not review early access games because it's not a finished game you know their, their idea is that they will only review a game once it's finished in the state that it's going to be released in yeah. but like you pointed out earlier with Minecraft like when you've got 2 million people playing your game surely that's finished um, yeah. you know that's already got more players than most major triple a titles get <laughs> exactly and the problem is is that for those 1.8 million players they haven't had professional video game journalism mm -hmm. to help them make the decision to spend the money because they're going oh we're not reviewing it because it's not final and they're kind of backed into a corner a little bit because we're in this world still with with video game journalism where the score is everything that matters and you know publishers and developers live and die by their metacritic score and so polygon a metacritic isn't really designed for no, changing not. scores and so outlets like Polygon and stuff like that, they can't really give a score to a game before it's finished because that score is going to, like it or not, be set in stone. The best you get usually is sort of like a, almost like a, a feature article yeah, on a, an early access game. So this is a kind of a weird, kooky yeah. early access game we played this week. But it's not a review. It doesn't give you an idea yeah. whether it's good or bad or anything like that. So just with with all classic, you know, when you go back to mag video game magazines, whenever there was a preview, the preview was always positive, right? There was yes, no criticism because no. it's like it's a preview and it's the same still with early access games. Definitely. You know, criticism is avoided because it's like, well, the game's not finished yet. And it's like, yeah, but if you're expected to pay say 30 pounds for player unknowns battlegrounds that's it isn't it that's where it and comes you've back got, to that's a that's a full price game yeah exactly you can buy so many full release games for less than that and yeah. not even when they're on sale and and they'll have reviews you know finalized reviews to help yeah. you make your decision about where to spend your money yeah. and you pointed out as well that that gap is being filled by youtubers doing yeah. let's plays yeah. of, of early access games and there's a whole can of worms there, yeah, there around, is. you know, the integrity of, of YouTube is not to rag on, on YouTubers in no, any way at all. Not. But you can't deny that professional journalism has, that's been around for a very, very long time. One way generally or speaking, and don't get me wrong, again, this is another episode we talk about journal game journalism. <laughs> Bigger companies like your Kotaku's, like your Polygon's, like your IGN's, they can't be as easily swayed by the developer or publisher of a major game or even an early access game, sorry, because they kind of don't need the favor it yeah. takes with it, unless it's like a, the, a gigantic one, like Call of Duty or something, you know, like kind of Blizzard yeah. Activision sort of thing. Whereas Let's Plays from YouTube are often quite small channels. Um, yeah. Like, you know, there's only a couple of really big gaming channels, isn't there? Like, mm. You got things like PewDiePie and uh is it like is it jacksepticeye and things like that like the really big ones like smosh games and i suppose in a way they don't necessarily need to worry about either but a lot of the smaller ones they're gonna go wait you're gonna pay me a couple of thousand pounds to talk possibly about your early access game hell yeah i'm gonna play and get paid money for doing that and yeah. get all the advertisement revenue of my video anyway yeah. and then that is not a good way of you consuming your 
advice about whether a game is good to pick up or not. Exactly. But the problem is that is almost like a self-fueling problem because then you go out and pick up this game that your favorite YouTuber has played, but only played positively because they've been paid to do so. And then other people see the fact that that's happening, so they make more kind of crappier games. Yeah. And then they do the same thing, and it all just sort of keeps happening and becoming worse and worse. I mean, this is a, you know, this is a very current issue just in general with video game journalism. Um, But I think that early access games are definitely part of it. You know, I think that it was fine when early access games and betas were free. You know, going back to what we were talking about earlier when you're talking about MMOs and mods and things like that, you know, free games... It's fine if there's no review because it doesn't matter. You know, you, if you, all you're losing is time rather than money. Mm-hmm. But when people are actually being asked to put down real money, in my personal opinion, I think that there needs to be professional, high quality journalism helping me make my decision 100%. to spend that money in some way or another. Early access has been around long enough now that people understand that it means that the game isn't finished, but you can still review an unfinished game and say, this is what you get for £30 today. Yes. You know, and yes, you know, if you want to drop £30 and accept that in a year's time the game will be better, then fine. But if you spend the money right now, this is what you're getting. And we're scoring it a six or we're saying... Relative to the fact that this is the case, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I I think that there is a gap there for that. Mm -hmm. And I think that we do need more decent critical coverage of early access games when they're asking for full price i think that's the key thing and that is so important when you kind of you hear the statistic of that only 25 percent of all early access games ever get final releases yeah which means that for every i know this is not how statistics works Every four games you buy, only one of them is ever going to be genuinely finished and the other three are just going to kind of sit in your library forever, not having been any different from when you originally bought them. Well, that's not good odds when it comes to your money. Yeah. And yeah, you should just kind of take the leap sometimes. If a game's like three quid, like recently I bought a new game on Steam called like, uh, I think it was called Starship Theory. And it's super early access. Like it's, it's we have not been paid by the developers. We haven't absolutely not. <laughs> uh, and it, it it's got huge problems. But I don't mind as much when it's only three quid. Yeah. But even still, like that's four games at three quid. That's still twelve pounds, and I'm losing nine of it almost, so to yeah. speak. You know, it's not good odds. <laughs> and there is some challenges for video game journalism in terms of, you know, even if the game looks good, they they can't see the future right they don't know if the developer is going to go under or abandon the game and stuff like that but that's part of what journalism is about right the investigation there should be people there should be you know that that industry should be taking the time to do some research interview the developers find mm-hmm. out what they're doing you know that's that's part of what journalism is about it's it's difficult like i think it's a it's a difficult world i think that it's a this this is a little bit tangential we're sort of talking generally about video game journalism but you know there's there's all kinds of problems in that world that make it very difficult but i still think that they i think fundamentally what we sort of said is that that world and the sort of traditional traditional video game journalism world isn't really keeping up and things like metacritic are not really keeping up with the no. current trends of how people buy and consume video games now and talk about them yeah and but consumers are wising up right like that's like i think that consumers are becoming more knowledgeable about what early access means and they're understanding the risks a little bit more and as we've talked about before you know as a developer you are kind of accountable to the internet and the internet can be very unforgiving very much so and so i think that that helps sort of self-regulate it a little bit 
fundamentally, I think that early access is a good thing for video gamers, right? Yeah, like, I think so. There's more variety. There's more competition. That It, it is just fundamentally a, a really, really good thing. But I do think that the sort of everything around it needs to accommodate it as well yeah. and help gamers make good decisions and you know understand the landscape a little bit it's very much here to stay so yeah, we've got to get used to consuming it in a very efficient and productive mm. manner rather yeah. than the way we're doing it, which is quite piecemeal now and quite haphazard uh, you made a good um, a good term earlier actually as well it's like very wild west isn't it still like you, yeah it's still kind of frontiers land it, it's uncharted territory yeah and sometimes you strike gold you really do with some fantastic games you know like your player unknowns battlegrounds and there's some other ones we got down here like uh, kerbal space program uh prison yeah. architect you know i mean and to some extent like elite dangerous we've talked about that a few times yeah, before absolutely but you know <laughs> then you get either the absolute garbage which is just garbage for the sake of taking people's money for free essentially or you get these games with all the promise in the world that just never actually live up to anything at all. Yeah. I mean, the couple that we talked about as examples, you know, things like Mighty Number no. 9, yeah. that had a lot of problems. Goddess as well, the Peter Molyneux game, you know, that was eventually released, but was, was just bad. And there's no guarantee, right? Like, the amount of money that a game receives doesn't make it a good game. It could still Not end up all. being a bad game because marketing or nostalgia or whatever it is. Look at ukulele. You know, mm-hmm. ukulele did reasonably well, but uh, in terms of reviews, but proportional to its monetary success, it's like, you know, you would expect better. And that's an example of, you know, nostalgia is, mm-hmm. is better than the the real thing. And that's really difficult to, to balance, you know, that whole marketing thing. And again, that comes back to what I was saying, you know, about that investigative and sort of, you know, good coverage to try and balance it out a little bit and make sure that hard questions are being asked of these developers to make sure that they're kept on the straight and narrow. Because what you don't want is the, oh, it's still in early access, don't worry about it. Because yeah, that's not exactly. good enough anymore, really. I don't think it is. I think we now n- really need to expect more from mm-hmm. developers asking for money in for, in an early access state. Yeah. I think we need to be more critical of these developers because this is the norm now. You know, this is every game. And something we said also was like this unfinished game excuse could start to be used and will start to be used by AAA companies. Yep. You know, you'll start to see Bioware and Blizzard and Bethesda making the same excuse. They'll start to charge you full price for a AAA game that, and we, we've we discussed this a little bit before with microtransactions and DLC. Yeah. You know, we're kind of already there, but that all we, they're just going to go is, you know, Bethesda are going to release the next Elder Scrolls and it's going to be early access. Oh, finished, yeah. <laughs> and you're going to pay 60 quid for it because it's, a, because it's an Elder Scrolls game. But who's to stop them when they put the early access moniker on the front of it? Yeah, and it's like in some ways that benefits people because it means that they can, you know, change the game and all of the things that we've said that are pros about early access games. But big companies like Bethesda, how much can they actually change direction based on feedback? You know, and how much actually is it just early money grabbing? I think it is definitely just that because, I mean, you, you really hit the nail on the head there. When you've got a company as big as something like Blizzard or Bethesda, with literally thousands of employees. And we're not just talking the coders, the people that sit at the computer no. literally making the game. We're talking about everything. We're talking about all the art assets. We're talking about the music team. And we're talking about the marketing side of things and the HR side of things and the distribution to all the other people that need the copies of the game sending out to them. You can't just turn on a dime sort of thing with those kind of things. They're like giant lumbering cruise liners compared to like, you know, an indie developer which is on a jet ski. Yeah, uh, exactly. You know, it, so... 
Early access, it's it's so good, but it's such a crutch, and it can potentially become this awful, awful minefield. Yeah, but it sounds like we're negative about it, and we're definitely not. You know, I mean, I've I've played so many games that are early access, you know, and they're and they're really great. Yeah, and definitely. It's nice to have the game much earlier and some of those as we as you said some of them wouldn't necessarily even see the light of day if early access wasn't a thing so you know we've we've benefited a lot the one thing this is just kind of come to me the one thing that i think almost escapes that problem is episodic games Mm. so games that kind of intentionally don't release finished and go right the next bits in two months time come back And then what that does is that encourages people to stay engaged with the game for a longer period of time, which makes you feel like your money's worth more, Mm. but also gives the developers time to have feedback and work on the next parts of the game. Yeah. So it's sort of like the best of both worlds. Now, I appreciate that a lot of games don't kind of work well with an episodic content style. Yeah. But where it does work, it works very well. Yeah, agreed, agreed. It also helps make it more concrete and gives more sort of specific milestones and stuff like that which i think is it works really well and you know done correctly you can then tie a lot of marketing around it and stuff like that very much so but yeah i don't know what 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 would you say is your is your favorite game that you've played that was early access that's a real good question there my friend um oh i don't know i just <laughs> something like um something like stardew valley count was that early um, access or was that only released when it was finished? Because I know he was adding a lot of content to it even like when the game was released. I don't know. It, I think it did have a beta process, but I certainly didn't play it when it was in beta. I played it when it was considered released, almost certainly. I mean, that would definitely be one of them. Uh, one of them you've written down on the list here as well, Prison Architect. I did play that when it was very yep. early. Yeah, uh, me too. It was still really buggy as well. It's like half the thing didn't work, but it was super fun anyway. Yeah. Oh, another game I've played, actually, that I, I supported on Kickstarter, and again, I'm not being paid, <laughs> um, was a game called Shelter. Uh, that's pretty oh, fun. Oh, yeah, I know the one. You know, I, I chucked some money towards that one, and I'm really glad I did, because it was a really, really fun game. I'm glad that it's kind of still being, you know, added to and everything. So, yeah. What about you? Yeah, I'm trying to think. I think, well, I did, I backed Elite Dangerous early on. Oh, of so course, I did play yeah. That in, I did play that in beta. I really liked Kerbal Space Program. I didn't. I wasn't early to that in in any shape or form, but I was definitely playing it before it was actually released. And of course, Minecraft. I mean, Minecraft was. I actually preferred Minecraft early on because I don't know. I just. I feel like maybe I'm being a little bit hipster there, but I sort of enjoyed it when it was still relatively. There wasn't a lot going on, and you know, there's a lot to Minecraft now, and it's yeah. it's a very different game from when it very from, yeah from early on. You know? I mean, what's crazy to think is that Minecraft's actually more popular with kids now than it is anywhere any other demographic. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, a lot of the people that play Minecraft now weren't alive when it first came out. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they weren't born yet. Like that's pretty mad. Yeah, that's very true. Wow. Yeah, that's kind of weird. Um, <laughs> because it's been around so long. But what's your favorite early access games? You know ours. Yeah. And what do you think is the future for games on early access? Do you think it's going to continue to be in a bit of a minefield, or do you think it's going to have this really slick, streamlined process where? We're going to trust developers more, so we're going to give them our mm. money quickly. Or are they maybe going to flip on their heads and say, look, our game's not finished. Here it is for free. Try it out if you like yeah. it. And almost go back to the old demo mentality. You know, yeah, go back maybe. a step rather than try and go forward. Let us know what you think about that. 
Yeah, absolutely. Please do um, email us. We're show at octal.fm or you can tweet us. We're just at octal.fm on That's Twitter. That's a good tweet one. That's an easy tweet one, that one. It is an easy tweet one. Or come find our Facebook page. There's a link to it on the website. And if you've enjoyed us talking about early access games, then there's a whole bunch of episodes. We're really building up a good archive now of, of topics and episodes because so I feel like there's him. always something that we can refer back to. But things like we talked about um, advertising in video games, that was a recent one, but also stuff about community management. That was yep. quite an earlier one. Definitely, um, That one was really good. Um, what else was there? Uh, the, the episode about mobile games. Yeah, there's definitely something there with the mobile games, like just not being good when they're finished yeah. because they want more money. <laughs> Otherwise, uh, we hope you enjoyed this this sort of discussion, our kind of thoughts and pros and cons about early access games. Um, you know, it is definitely something that's here to stay and is a very stable sort of mainstay in the video game world. But at the same time, there's still a lot more settling down to be done. And I think there's still a lot of stuff around early access games that we're going to see developments in and it's still going to continue to change the landscape. Um, so it's a really interesting topic. Definitely. Uh, I've been Sefran. And I've been Gelada. And if you pay us fourteen ninety nine before the <laughs> next episode, Gelada will early access this episode directly to your email account. <laughs> Do you think they'll believe that? Uh, I don't think they will. Oh, let's see. Someone might. PayPal us. <laughs>